It's almost like clockwork. I'll be giving a speech, teaching a workshop about public speaking and storytelling, and the inevitable question comes up. How do I give a TED Talk? How do I give a TEDx Talk is usually what they're asking. People are obsessed with these short, quippy, helpful, informative talks. From watching them to making them, we are obsessed with them. The organization has been around since 1984. But it's really since the year 2000, with the advent of the internet and the creation of YouTube, that we've seen a huge growth in the TED organization and the TEDx speeches that have made so many people really, really popular in the world. And so what does it take to actually do it? Why do we love them? What's going on? And how do we have a shot of creating them? Not only do we see TEDx-style talks at TED events, we see them all over the place. I was recently speaking at an HR conference and they had a stage that was devoted to these 10 to 15 minute talks sharing quick, short ideas. I was recently speaking to a group that does real estate training and they even have a group of folks that come to their conferences and do these short TED style talks around different topics. So why are we so obsessed with them as a public? Why are we so obsessed with giving them? And how do we even start thinking about what it takes to put it together? We started this conversation back in episode 14 with my friend Chloe DeVita from Perceptive Present. In episode 14, we covered why are we obsessed with them? Why do we keep giving them? And now in episode 16, this is part two. We're going to talk about how to memorize your talk. We're going to talk about stories and data and what to put into it and then what to do after the talk. So that's what's up in this episode of the Mic Drop Moment, the continuation from episode 14. So if you haven't heard that one, uh, you could listen to them out of order, but you're definitely going to want to listen to them back to back. And also in this episode, don't forget, it's a Wine and Wisdom Wednesday episode. So I have a really fun, kind of appropriately named wine to share with you. Hint, hint. <laughs> Let's roll the credits and get into my conversation with Chloe DeVita. So you have a story to tell and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your Mic Drop Moment. Here is your host, Mike Benino. Refining your idea. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the process of actually whittling that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, when you first, when someone reaches out to you first, what's the, and you and I are working through developing some, uh, mm-hmm. some proprietary processes for this, but mm-hmm. when somebody reaches out to you now, how yeah. do you kind of look at it and say, where's the idea in here? What's your process? So my process is I have, I have a, a form basically that I have people fill out and it's around, I call it belief statements and I make them actually write out, you know, what is the belief that you have, why should the world care? Why do you care? Um, Because usually within writing that out is where we find the idea. The goal is that they're writing it in such a way that their idea is what they're talking about. But what's the hardest thing for people to do is to find a concise way to say what their idea is. 
And so I always go through and have them do these belief statements and within, and then we have a call and we talk through them and we find, oh, that's, that's what you're talking about. That is the idea. And it's usually not exactly what they think it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of, one of the things that I have people do is I say, what is the, I just did a podcast episode on the mic drop moment about this mm -hmm. as well around what is the belief you want the audience to change. Mm -hmm. Like that's probably tied to the idea we're sharing and sometimes mm -hmm. helps to strip away all the other stuff that doesn't need to be in the talk because everything should be about serving. What is the change point for the audience? Where are they? What's the current world like? Mm -hmm. What's the future world like? And what did they have to change? Mm -hmm. What belief do you need to reverse mm -hmm. in order for them to do the thing you want them to do? And mm -hmm. I, and I find that a lot of times it's that same moment of like, ah, that's the talk mm -hmm. we need to be working on is yep. supporting that, uh, inflection point of, mm -hmm. of changing yeah. their mind. Yeah. I find people get really tied to the, because like the reasons why versus the actual idea, the actual thing that they think that's different, that if people could, you know, believe that with them, then something would change. They get very tied to the, well, because this, and because of that, and because of, um, and, and that's where you end up in lots of different pathways, not necessarily leading to the thing that you want them to know. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it is the, like, what is everything that's coverable in this versus mm -hmm. what is the belief that needs to change and what do they currently believe about it? Yep. You know, at TEDx yeah. Cambridge this year, uh, we're we're fortunate we get to work with uh, Tamson Webster, mm -hmm. who's doing some of the idea idea whispering mm -hmm. at the top with her red thread method. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, this is something that you and I have to do mm -hmm. when we're working with folks, um, and they come to us directly. We're kind of the full service, yeah. <laughs> full service uh, TEDx talk production crew here, helping yeah. them with all of those things. But that's the interesting thing. Jen Singer asked. Uh, question, if you have questions about doing a TEDx or mm -hmm. doing a small talk, let us know. Uh, Jen Singer said about the idea of people that have been invited to do a TEDx mm -hmm. talk, and then what should they be thinking about if it may not be, if getting on that stage was not a passion for them, mm -hmm. if they've been invited to do it and they weren't thinking, I want to do a TEDx, but they ended up there. This mm -hmm. happens a lot to um, the folks at TEDx Cambridge, actually. Yeah. A lot of them, because they didn't apply. We right. went out to them and said, hey, uh -huh. this looks like an idea we're spreading. Do you want to do it? And then we have a lot of work to say, hey, you're going to go through 16 weeks of boot camp that we've designed. You're going to go through like $100,000 worth of coaching mm -hmm. in order to produce this talk. And I think that that sometimes they're surprised by that. But what would you what would you advise people if if they've been invited to do the talk? They've decided to do it. They're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But what should they consider what should matter to them if doing a TEDx talk was not the goal for them? I think it, so if they're invited to do it, then they're, they're out there doing something in the world. They're not just sitting under a rock and all of a sudden somebody was like, Oh, what's this? Come do a, a talk. You got there's any ideas? That that, yeah, there's something that they're passionate about that they're putting out there that made somebody say, this could be interesting on my stage. I want to bring you here to share it. If it's a little off from maybe what their goals are, then I think for them, all they need to think about is how will I leverage this? Because I do think even when it's not fully aligned, there are ways to leverage it. If how you create your, your talk with whomever is helping you wherever you are and put it on the stage and you get this video afterwards, 
there are ways to share it by connecting it to what you really want to do. Um, and actually, Mike, you helped me do this with something because you're I had welcome. given, huh? <laughs> I said, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Because I had given, if you remember, so um, I, I used to run a company called Blog Pause. It was in the past space with my mom and with Tom. And we, um, well, I, so I left in, in November 2017. And the 2018 conference, they asked me, I was there. I went totally on my own. I helped with our event planner. And they asked me to take the stage on the last night and give some like closing remarks. They literally asked me the morning of that. And I had to put it together and get up. And I did like a 10 minute closing remarks to just kind of try to reignite the community together and have them see what was really happening and that they were what was what it was about. It's not something I talk about, but I wanted to share it. And you helped me figure out how to introduce it and talk about it in a way where it was about the fact that I'm so passionate about the different work that I do when I'm asked to fill in at the last minute that I can. And you you helped give me a whole narrative around how I could share this in a way that still spoke to who I am and let me connect it to what I what I do. And I think that that is key. And and part of I think what I saw was that for most of us, like, like I think our job is to uh, break the fourth wall and we mm-hmm. don't ever have to become a better version of ourselves, it's that we have to strip away all the stuff that is not ourself. Yeah. And so I think what I saw and and just being, you know, your 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 dear friend, your close mm-hmm. friend, um, is you don't really have the ability to do things that don't fit who you are. Yeah. And so it wasn't you doing something that wasn't you and then trying to be like, how do I make this make sense? It was you at your core. And so all we had to do was look and say, well, what is that core? What's the the center that you play from? Mm-hmm. Because that was what you were doing. And when we looked at that, it was like, oh, it's obvious that it wasn't about this event. It was about this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's really who you are. And that's what's relevant to whoever wants to work with you. Yeah. And I think that that would be a through line for anyone who is invited to do a talk because that something in them was seen, right? They were out there doing something and somebody saw it and it wants to bring that on their stage. Yeah. If you, uh, if you're listening, if you're watching now, uh, I guess later too, cause it would be now for you. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do a TEDx talk? It, type in the comments? Uh, yes or no. Do you want to do, are you into a TEDx talk? Let us know what's going on. It's interesting to think about that. Is that something that you have a passion for? So mm-hmm. we talked about refining the idea. We've talked about how to leverage it a little bit. Let's just go through like a smorgasbord of kind of like, okay. what are some of the things people find themselves in because they're not, uh, what are some of the best practices that we could share with people? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll start. Okay. One is the idea that you're going to uh, that you're going to get picked and do your interview video. Sometimes they do an interview video and then you say, "Great, I have like a loose idea of what I'm going to do." And in the moment when I get on stage, it's all going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a wing it person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if you have the I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll give some truth here, Chloe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna unleash the cat out of the bag. Bag here. So I don't often, ever, I've never, I've done like, I don't know, maybe I've done over a million dollars worth of, of speaking. Mm-hmm. I've never had an actual written script. 
You know what that sound means here on the Mic Drop Moment. It means it is time for a little wine as part of the Wine and Wisdom Wednesdays. And this week I have a really fun wine based on the way we're talking and what we're talking about. This one is a blend. And you know, if you've listened to previous episodes, I love a blend. I especially love a GS. M blend. GSM stands for Grenache, Syrah, Morvedra, and it's a blend that's really common in the south of France. It's also uh, common in Central Coast, so from Paso Robles all the way down to Santa Barbara, you'll see quite a bit of this, and it is one of my favorites. I think it pairs nicely with food, and it also can be drank on its own. And because those three grapes all add something different, depending on what the percentage of each of the grapes in the wine you can end up with a really different wine, which is what I think is fun. If one GSM at one place is never going to be exactly like another, there's a lot of style that can go into it. You can really choose how you want it to be. Now, this one is really, really fun. The GSM that I'm pairing today comes from Cass Winery, which is in Paso Robles, which is in the uh, kind of north end of Central Coast in California. So it's from Cass Winery, and the wine You'll never believe what it's called. It's the 2016 Rockin' Ted. Yeah, that's right. I said Rockin' Ted. We have this whole episode talking about TED Talks and TED Inspire Talks. And I am drinking a wine called the Rockin' Ted. So this is the 2016 Rockin' Ted from Cass Winery. And it's actually based on the name of one of the owners. Steve Cass and Ted Plemons are the two uh, two of the owners of, of the winery. And so this Rockin' Ted is kind of a reserve uh, proprietary blend that they've put together that is um, super delicious. Anyway, so a GSM blend. This one is aged in new oak for quite a while. So when it comes to oak, there's new oak and there's old oak. And new oak is going to give it more of those kind of like toasty, oaky flavors that you've experienced in wine, whereas neutral oak, which is oak that's been used before, is just going to kind of soften the tannins and, you know, add a little bit of oakness to it, but you're not going to notice a lot. And this wine, what I'm getting from the oak is like this kind of... um. I don't know, like like crumble, like a strawberry or blueberry crumble, like the actual like toasty little crumble that would be on top. That's kind of what the the oak is doing for me here on the palate and and in the nose. The other thing is there's some like kind of sweet hazelnut. So there's like a nuttiness to it, but it's kind of sweet like a hazelnut. I'm loving that. This wine is full of bold, big flavors as well. Grenache, Syrah, Mavedra, those are really giving me a lot of flavor here. Uh, The tannins here are pretty nice, meaning uh, they're there. You'll notice them, but they're also pretty smooth. So I would definitely think that most folks would want to pair this with something toasted or toasted, something roasted. You could toast it too, but something roasted like a roasted meat or some barbecue, maybe some some nice aged cheese. For me, I think that if I was cooking with this, I would go out and I would be grilling, you know, we eat more veg, but I would be grilling some like broccoli, like charring broccoli, charring some peppers, charring some something that has some weight to it, maybe doing like a nice cauliflower steak with chimichurri. But again, if you're into it, some barbecue, some roasted meat, that would be perfect for this. It's got a ton of dark fruit, some campfire smoke. And, you know, I think even though the tannins are are nice and structured, I think you could drink this on your own. I mean, I'm doing that now. Anyway, to check it out, you can uh, you can go directly to their website, CassWines.com, CassWines.com. I'm planning a little trip next year with a couple of my friends, 
up to Paso. And I think we have to put this winery on the list to visit because you can't, it's hard to find the wine. You can get on their website. It's going to set you back about 75 bucks. So this is definitely like a wine to get when you're ready to, uh, to enjoy, to splurge. But if you're looking for something fun, a nice red for a party or a really cool gift for a friend who recently gave a Ted talk or something, this Cass Wines Rockin' Ted 2016 is I think the answer for you. So anyway, that's what I'm drinking. Now let's go back and talk about Ted some more. I've never had a written script. Now, uh, Egal is here in the room. I just spoke at his event uh, last week in San Diego. Really, ah, I cried like so many. I was texting Chloe and I was like, I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. It was to a group in his, he he runs a, a organization called Pond Leaders and it's all people from the pawn shop industry, but it's about, it's not about like how to sell more diamonds. It's about becoming leaders and living this epic life. And I was like crying so much, but I spoke on his stage and the opening bit that I do is an opening bit that I've done for three years. It probably sounds exactly the same all the time because I've got it in my bones. I've rehearsed it. I know the stories. So they do sound the same, mm-hmm. but I've never actually worked from a written script. Yeah. Is I, it your island story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the it. cargo cult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chloe knows it. I bet Egal, as I started to do it, was probably like, I remember this. Mm-hmm. I know our friend Tony Mayo was in the room. He probably was like, I remember hearing this. Um, <laughs> and it, But it works and it proves yeah. the point. So I, I still use it. I've used it. I mean, that that thing has made me over a million dollars, that little opening scene. Yeah. So I think that the idea that winging it works doesn't work, even if you're someone who's pretty good at being in the moment and connecting. When you're trying to do a 15-minute talk or when you're doing a 10-minute talk or a 10-minute pitch or a proposal, you need to really clearly know what you're going to do. And you have a t- the clock is running. So let's talk about like, do you script every single word? Mm -hmm. Do you not? Do you have a loose idea? How tightly should it be in rehearsal? What, what do you think, Chloe? So I think that yes, you should script it. And I think what that script is for you is your, it's your roadmap. It's your path of where you're going. Because if you don't have that in such a short time, it's very easy to get off track. You have to know exactly where you're going Um, in the moment and where you're going next. And I think a script is really important in making sure you do that. And then additionally, I think in rehearsal, um, and this is one of the things as head performance coach with TEDx Cambridge that I work with the speakers that I coach on is knowing the point of why you're saying that. So you're opening with a story. What is the purpose of that story? And how are you connected to it so that the audience can be connected to it? And literally going through that script in that way Because I think there's a method to memorize to the point while staying on the path that is very different than memorizing to the word. And the words are important to get you to the point where you can do that. And so I always end up in a place where where people, people will start rehearsing and they'll realize they messed up because in their minds, they're trying to read their script and where they're at and what point they're at. And, oh, I didn't mean to say the sentence in that way, so I'm going to start over. And that just trips your brain up and it doesn't let you flow and move forward. It actually trains you to not do it right. Yeah. You're practicing <laughs> it's wrong. about doing it right. It's about doing it well and it's about connecting to the content. And the thing is, is it's your content. If you're the one speaking, it's your idea. It's your content. You know the material. You know what you would say if I just asked you, well, when did you think of that? You would tell me the story and you would be connected to it. So I think there's a really important piece to having the script because it's the path to where you're going. And then it's also important in rehearsal 
to make sure you don't hold the word to word so tightly that you're no longer connected to the material, to the material and the content. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, so for me also, and this is one of the things that I'll do, even when I'm working with someone, when I'm coaching on my iPad, I draw boxes. I draw these, the, mm -hmm. the, the I storyboard it essentially. Yep. And so when I'm giving a talk, I know it like a set list. I know the boxes. Mm -hmm. So within those boxes, I also know this takes me three minutes. This takes me seven minutes. This takes me eight minutes. Mm -hmm. I know where the beginning is, where the end is and what the transition. So I have these boxes. And then in the middle, I draw like literally like a bridge. And I know that that's what I do when I work with people as well. Mm -hmm. Because you can't just get up there and hope it's going to come to you. Yep. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's fine in the middle of a workshop. It's yeah. not fine for a keynote. It's not fine right. for a 10 minute talk. Nope. That needs to be, uh, that needs to be a well-oiled machine. And so mm -hmm. in rehearsal, even if you're a story block person, like I am, yeah. you need to be able to deliver it almost the same way every mm -hmm. time, uh, because you've promised you would. Yeah. And I think you have to make sure the, the flow of it is effective. And that's one of the other ways in which, whether it's a script or what you're talking about, which is kind of script-like, but different. Yeah. yeah, it's just not word for word written. Right. So whether it's either one of those, that's one of the things I always do when I'm working with people. So like, here's a script I have printed out and I've got notes along the side. And as they're going through reading it, I'm writing the purpose. It's like, okay, so we're starting with the story that shares why you got this. It's a memory that brought you there. And then you're moving to here, then you're moving to here. So that I have the outline less about the content and more about the purpose because yeah. that's that's what the audience will experience and so if the flow doesn't matter if if or if the flow doesn't fully work and there's a section that like it's like ooh, this needs to come in sooner so that the end makes sense to the audience better that's that's one of the things i always have to look at is so like with you that's what i would do is how let's storyboard this and let's look at the flow it, are we actually delivering it in a way that's going to help the audience best get on board with what you're saying yeah. And I just, I just interviewed, I haven't uh, put out the episode, but I just interviewed um, Anthony Jack, who you were his performance mm -hmm. coach yep. last year at TEDx Cambridge and AJ Harper was his writing coach. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of his talk, um, he had this bit where he started by saying, even undripped dreams come true because look at me, I'm on this stage. Mm -hmm. And so uh, AJ said, well, tell me more, give me some more stories. He was telling me this on the podcast. And they ended up putting one more piece before that, because mm -hmm. then when he said that, he got this roaring, like the audience was on his side. If he hadn't had the little piece before that, it would have been a throwaway moment where the audience wasn't ready yet to, to be uh, voting for him as the underdog. Yep. yep. You can't do that if you don't have something crafted, written down, structured. You can't move things around because you're mm -hmm. preying on divine intervention when you get in the spotlight. Exactly. That's <laughs> <laughs> and the worst thing you want to do, the, the worst thing would be that you get up there, you have 10 minutes mm -hmm. and then like you're at 10 minutes and you haven't said the thing you really want to say yet. And they're like, you got to get off the stage. And then yeah. you're like, well, hold on. The one thing you need to remember, but most of all is this. And mm -hmm. they're like pulling you off of the hook. That mm -hmm. would be really sad. Yeah. That'd be really sad. So, okay. So that's about rehearsing. Mm -hmm. um, what about moving? Mm -hmm. what about moving. Let's talk about that. You are the the speech choreographer. So, what about moving? Yes. Well, I always say, as a dancer and choreographer, which I mentioned, that 
dancers move to music and speakers move to words. And that what that means is it's not just in, you're not just choreographing the words that you're saying, but also how you're saying them and what you're feeling during them. Because if you're really connected to how you feel, you move very naturally. What happens to people when they take a stage is they often don't know what to do. And all of a sudden they're judging everything and they're very like, does this feel awkward? What does this look? And so they get in this space where they're not physically connected to what they're saying anymore. And so I work with them to make that happen. And sometimes the best way to do that is not to move at all. So it isn't about putting movement to everything you say, but it is about being intentional with knowing you are connected here with what you're saying so that your body can naturally embody what it would. Because mm. that's what we do in conversations naturally and normally. Um, there are tips and tricks for you to work on. Um, for instance, when, you know, you're on stage and you want to make a point and you want to like drive it home, moving a little bit closer to the audience can create an intimacy. So there are tips like that, that we'll work on, but in general, it's really just about finding uh, within yourself that connection that you have to your center so that what you say and how you want to move with it feel natural. Cause it's not about being fake. Yeah. And it's about, and, and what happens is that when we don't know, when we haven't thought through how we're going to move, we end up moving nervously, which mm -hmm. then we think is like, well, that's me being natural, but it's actually not you being natural. It's a filter that you're trying to defend yourself. And so you're not actually moving authentically and real and from your center, like you said. Yep. Correct. Okay. So in a, in a, in a short talk, mm -hmm. should I move it all? Some mostly, I think. I guess if you stood there like this, it'd be really weird. Yeah. It depends. It, it's why it's really hard to generally answer some of those things because it's always about what, what works for that content in that moment. And people could, you, you could probably find the same exact line that people say in talks throughout. If you searched for like a phrase that was common, I can't even think of one at the moment, but I bet a lot of people say the same phrase in their talks, but the point of it is usually different. And that's the piece that would drive how you should move or if you should move, not the words. And so it's hard to say whether you should or shouldn't. What you should think about if you're on, say, a carpet that's maybe only so big <laughs> Um, and you have a short amount of time and you have a video going, you want to think about how your movement affects not just the audience in front of you, but the, the viewers who will be watching you. And a lot of movement can actually be distracting mm -hmm. um, on a video. So you want to have a balance. And there might be times where on a big stage, you would choose to move a little bit more. And on the smaller circular carpet where you know the video um, is an important product, that you choose to stand more. Cause I would say when in doubt, just hold Yeah, more impactful than pacing, than nervous energy, like channel it into holding, um, especially your feet. Being grounded. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the, the things too, you were talking about video. It's, it's a lot like, like acting in a way, because if you're on a theater stage, you don't have cameras normally. So you need to be, uh, you need to move in a certain way so people can see it was really intentional. But if you watch film, I mean, they're framed like this. And so any small little movement matters. I just watched Star Wars, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, and mm -hmm. the the woman that plays Rey and the man that plays uh, Ben Solo, they're like 
masters mm-hmm. at micro emotions in their face. Like mm-hmm. it's a close up of her face and you're like, I know exactly how she's feeling. That doesn't work on a theater right. stage, but it works really well on camera. So being thoughtful about that as well mm-hmm. um, matters. Yeah. matters. Um, cool. This was fun. And that's a wrap on this two-part series, Breaking Down TED-style talks. In episode 14, we talked about why we love to watch them, listen to them, attend them. And we also talked about why we love to give them as speakers, communicators, coaches, authors, entrepreneurs. And then in this episode, episode 16, we covered how to memorize it, how to include story and data, and really bring your talk to life. I also shared with you the Rockin' Ted Red Wine, which is super fun. You should check that out as well. To learn more about Clodavita, you can head over to perceptivepresence.com. You can also learn more by checking out mikeanino.com and hit the podcast to learn more from this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you loved the show, it means a whole bunch to iTunes and the world and honestly to me if you give it a review. So head on over and do that if you haven't yet. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeGanino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeGanino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 